0: Hello and welcome to episode number 23 of the Miller's Game Room podcast. I'm Miller, and uh, this is the usual like talking about games and issues around them and stuff like that. And this is going to be a a good episode I think because I've got a lot of gaming news and a bit about what I've been playing. And also um, just a heads up this might be published later than the usual like Tuesday when I try to get it up because I've been basically busy with Xenoblade 3. And I beat the main story. So I'll be talking a bit about Xenoblade 3 later. Although I do plan to make a full like video for the channel about it. Where I can ramble at length. Because uh, that game was amazing. Spoiler. Uh, other things. Uh, I did a video. It went up uh, on Saturday. Which was a um, video where I unboxed a, uh, a haul from Japan. And uh, I'll be unboxing some of the items from that individually. And having videos on that. And maybe the games as well. Which is spoiler there too. But... Well, maybe, you know, maybe let me know on the video if there's anything you want to see, but, uh, or even in replies to this. Speaking of replying to this, if you appreciate the podcast, like, comment, subscribe, five-star reviews on your platform of choice, etc, etc, and so forth, that would be really appreciated. Thank you very much. For some reason, I've actually amassed, like... 20 subscribers in the past few weeks and it's like it's kind of sort shocked me a bit like I was able to get the whole nice picture when I got hit 69 so thank you very much for those who have subscribed I'm um, also hoping to do videos on unrelated things haven't decided yet will probably do something else but I'll think of that later Um so yeah uh, let's get started I'm going to start with the short stuff first so first bit is uh, *Labyrinth of Sengetsu was announced officially for the West in 21, 20, Quadrant quadrant 2023, which is basically whole like first few months of next year. Uh, PQ were one the ones announced to bringing it over, and it's the game by a choir and a Kru Panda. It looked alright actually. I'm hoping it lives up to expectations because like it's nice to have a a bigger variety of like localized dungeon RPGs. Especially ones that are good because some of them do tend to be a mixed bag. But that's for a whole other day for me. Um, it Look, I hope it, it's good and it's a hidden gem. Because uh, especially with Ventures Academia also coming west. Which also looks like hidden gems. So hopefully this one follows suit as well. Uh, yeah. Next bit of short news. Uh, Switch Online added Wave Race 64 back on the 19th of August. And this is another game that should have been there day one. Especially because it was an N64 launch title. At least in North America. Um, the other two titles were Super Mario 64, which is also on the service now, and a Star Wars game, which I don't think has been put on the service, but is also like remastered elsewhere, I think, so uh, it's not too big a deal there. Next bit of news uh, the Nippon Ichi Software president Sohei Nikawa resigned. That was announced like Friday. Uh, the chairman Koichi Kitazumi has taken over and it was said that Nikawa resigned for personal reasons which haven't been specified but you know we don't need to know really although he has been like head of Nipponichi software for like 30 years like he's been there a very very long time so it is quite possible he's just like I've been there 30 years I've had enough I want to go which is fine but again we don't know the exact reason it's none of our business so all the best to him as for who's taken over, that, of course, is Kidazumi, who's taken both roles for now, chairman and president. And as for the subsidiary, NIS America, they will form a consulting contact with Nikawa till his duties are properly transferred, which basically means he's going to be a freelancer for the next few months with Nisa, or however long it needs. But yeah, um, I don't have too many thoughts on it aside from the fact he's been there a long, a long time. But the other thing I hope for, which is I hope the change means that this new leader might be more receptive to getting, like, Nipponichi software games localized faster because outside of this guy, the games take a really long time to come over, which is actually quite, like, out of step nowadays with a lot of larger companies. Like, there are others where it takes a while, like, if you don't include visual novels. Like, Idea Factory still take a while with some of the compil art games, especially for PC. And... Some third-party localizations as well also take a while, like, well, for example, the uh, Acquire game mentioned earlier, which isn't coming out day one, but in the past, it, some of the games from various other companies took a while as well, and Falcom as well, but Falcom's kind of an exception, really, because of the text. But these are quite small indie games, so it's like, nice you need to start making games with like bigger budgets, basically, that's what a lot of people believe, and it would help a lot because aside from Disgaea, the big concern with NIS is the fact that they don't have much else keeping them going. Like they do have the VNs as well, which none have been picked up for localization. So that's kind of the niche they've been doing. And in the West, Nices basically keeping the company afloat by localizing lots of stuff people want. Like Nices lineups better than NIS's in a lot of cases. I mean, another example is Labyrinth of Galleria, which is a sequel to Labyrinth of Refrain, which is only Kanye West also in Quadrant 1 2023, so that's taken a really long time, and that first came out in, like, 2020, so, like, and that was a Vita game, like, that's how long ago it was released, a game was released for the Vita, that's how long it took, as well as PS4, which, and then the Switch, but, you know, it took a long time for that game, and, like, like, a lot of people will lose interest by the time it comes out, especially because it's quite obscure to begin with, so, you know, get them sorted faster basically and I'm hoping the change of leaders with a different guy also means they'll actually get their VNs localized and actually like if NISO won't do them get someone else to because generally those NIS games are basically de facto off limits to any other localization company to pick up because in the eyes of NIS it's like oh we have a subsidiary already but they're not interested so we won't do them which there's never been any official talk on whether they've been interest or not but the lack of complete silence on it means they're obviously not doing them so or if they they did it was internal stuff which we don't know about but i'd still like to find out and find out what's going on with that but if nothing else a new leadership can potentially uh open that door again but we never know really for now not much will change but you never know and next bigger bit of news, uh, the Disney 23 Expo 2022 Disney and Marvel Games Showcase has been dated for the night of September. It's going to premiere at 1pm Pacific, 4pm Eastern, 9pm British Standard Time, 11pm like Central European Time and other time zones, check your area where you are and yeah, um, it's promising potentially because of like possible Kingdom arts news and other things because even though we have got a list of things they've, they've definitely confirmed be there but I'm hoping for Kingdom Hearts. But as for the rest of this list, and it's going to be a nice long list showing how scarily big Disney has gotten now, featuring new reveals from Disney and Pixar games even though Disney doesn't develop games themselves anymore, Marvel games, Lucasfilm games and 20th century games including all new announcements and reveals from existing titles such as Disney Dreamlight Valley, Marvel's Midnight Suns, and Lego Star Wars The Skywalker Saga, and a sneak peek at the upcoming Marvel Ensemble game from Skydance New Media. So there's a lot of titles there, and the um, only thing missing is National Geographic games, which um, isn't out of the question, or even a new Simpsons game. If that, but that's new, A new Simpsons game, that would actually be pretty cool. And I've got a lot to think about with that, so... Another new Simpsons game is actually good, that'd be great. Hit and Run's great. A Simpsons game tie-in game is also pretty good, so, you know, new games would be great. Yeah, I've a lot to say on some of the things, but, you know... Yeah, it's so it's kind of scary how big Diddy's got now, they've just got a massive list of games that are going to be announced on all these subsidiaries that they've acquired so it's kind of scary but you know maybe it might not be so bad in terms of what they announced but you know it's disney anyway as for embracer group because there's a lot to talk about with the embracer group today because the embracer group have uh, embraced a bright future allegedly in the words of one of the press releases they've, they've done for their acquisitions because Embracer group has been going around buying more companies again and literally like two months after the last buyout, which was Square Enix stuff, even though they could have actually held onto that and announced it here, but they've got a ton of companies here. So uh, I'm gonna go through the list of companies and then talk about a couple that stand out to me, because a lot of these companies don't know who they are or didn't care about them before, but you know. So this acquisition um, is going to cover ByteWave games, Geotech, limited run games, Middle Earth Enterprises, Sintrix, Tatsujin, which is their first Japanese studio by the way, Tripwire Interactive and Tuxedo Labs. And most of those will be under an operative group called Embrace of Freehold. So let's get started with uh, Noteworthy. Like I said one already regarding Tatsujin, which is quite like interesting it's taken this long to get a Japanese studio under their arm, which that's where Tatsujin originates from. And Limited Run Games was also surprising. Like, it was, like, the most surprising to me. Like, because this is a company that I've followed since its creation. Like, since the days of Breach and Clear, which was their very first Vita physical release. And that was back in 2015. So, they've been around a long time. And the more it, like, it's surprising at first, I'm thinking they'd want to sell out to, like, Embracer Group. But the more I think about it, the more it makes sense. Because, like, American capitalism, basically, like... They've basically won the game. And I say won in quote marks. They take the money to secure their futures, which makes a lot of sense to, like, do that. Like, if in a country that's basically living hell, if you have the opportunity to get millions of dollars to secure your future, which is likely what they got for the company, it makes sense to take it. And, like, I'd consider the same thing if I was in their position, because having all that money, like, you'd secure your future, especially in a country where there's basically no services so you have to pay for your pay for your stuff yourself so i don't blame them and the saying with pretty much all the other like groups especially other american companies in the corporation as well so in the case of them to run games specifically they said they're going to maintain autonomy but how long will it be before there's interference like other things like they say is that they'll be like we can do more but bigger and better and it's like limited run have had issues of our production like it takes a long time to get things ordered and sent and part of that is because of covid and delays there in the shipping system and the climate crisis too so things are like backed up in shipping but part of it's also because the quality in some ways have gone down like a recent release i can't remember the name of it but we promised a full color manual but instead it was like a bit of card and i kind of see that be disappointing like Another of the limited releases I got from them recently was uh, also, like, having a little, like, cut-up manual, like, just, like, a sheet folded, which is, like, kind of disappointing, to be honest. It's not really a manual. Like, it's fine if you're not going to do a manual, but be honest about it. And there have been, like, some, like, controversies with them, but I don't know. Maybe that could be the case because they were growing so big and quickly they're at the limits and they needed to to take it to the next step that's what they're claiming when it might be some truth in that but i'm kind of like yeah but yeah the fact that embracer group are actually quite good for preservation in terms of like they actually acknowledge the history of game preservation i have an archive i believe in that sense it's kind of good for at least with the games under embracer group that sense of philosophy is there so Maybe some good will come out of it, but I'm not expecting it. The other major one from this that surprised me was Middle Earth Enterprises. This is basically the IP holder of The Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit, which are basically two of the most like significant fantasy IPs. I mean, even if you're not into like fantasy, you know what they are, that's how big they are, and it's a really big deal because now it's like. I'm not sure 100% of all the rights they own because I know there's different things like movies and games and that which can be licensed out but the fact they basically have control of IPs and pretty much most of what it can entail is like a really big deal and it's like this whole thing kind of shows how Embracer keeps being allowed to make all these acquisitions like they've grown so much in the last like five years it's ridiculous and it's terrifying because all these companies holding control and it's also concerning because a lot of the people in these like organizations that run them like the shareholders and that are extremely rich and a lot of these employees won't be demanding better pay and stuff like that because they're not unionized which is also concerning so it opens the door for like that dynamic to get even worse especially for the companies based in like America and other countries where union laws are bad And that's kind of like terrifying, you know? Like like even just the other month, like Saudi Arabia's like investment bank like took an eight percent stake in Embracer Group and that was literally like June, July. Like that's like how recent these things are now like all these companies will now technically be like eight percent owned by Saudi Arabia. A country with notorious human rights abuses and that's kind of the thing that a lot of people like just it's it's scary how these like like vile states and individuals and corporations have control over so many companies and that's why there's lots of concern and i think at this rate um embracer in particular risk becoming a monopoly and well especially in europe and the european union zone especially there and also like it needs to get to the point where eventually like Governments and other boards are going to have to step in and potentially block acquisitions and stuff, which is yeah, it's concerning, but not much else to add on that <laughs> at the moment, anyway. I do have like one like western game from the like recent THQ Nordic digital okay, showcase that I've got some interest in, so yeah, there's still some positive THQ like Nordic related news. Um, so that's a new SpongeBob like licensed game, they had a trailer. Uh, only game I care about, and it's basically a Battle for Bikini Bottom sequel in terms of gameplay, but it's kind of more like fantasy and based with Wish Worlds, which is basically like little worlds based off parts of the cartoons and stuff that couldn't really be explored in previous games. And the closest it would kind of get would be like Creature of the Krusty Krab with the dreams and that. And that's quite an old game, and that was made back in like 2006. It was a launch title for the Wii actually. And that game was really interesting because Creature from the Krusty Crab with a dream element. You had to play as SpongeBob, Patrick, and Plankton, and you'd go through the dreams, and they you'd switch between different settings. Like with the first world in that, it was like called Diesel Dreaming, and he and had like SpongeBob driving around in these like hot rod racing cars, and with, and you're getting there, you have a really like badass face with really detailed expressions and stuff. It was a really unique little twist, and then later you get things like. The Alaskan Bullworm going through the body of one of those. And then you have like Patrick with being a superhero and then blasting through space. And you got Plankton like being chased by a giant burger. And then being big and then being able to crush and destroy things. Um, it was really interesting and I'm hoping to see something like that here for the Cosmic Shake with all these fantasy settings. You can really like play around with VIP like that. And so I've got potential. I do wonder whatever happened to the rest of the whole Nickelodeon licensing deal because I know in the original press release they were talking about like re-releasing games that were made a while ago like not just from Spongebob but like other Nicktoon IPs so things like if I remember correctly one of the other IPs was with, was going to be the Fairly appearance Parents but only in the US for some reason which is weird which if that did happened it would be mass imported by people myself included I don't think I ever played any of the Fairly appearance Parents games. I definitely played the crossovers and the crossovers I'd like to see come back as well or at least another Nicktoons like crossover adventure game like the the series the original THQ did when preferably with not too many of the new characters because I always have no fucking clue who they are um but you never know um no date announced for the cosmic shake but it'll probably be next year that's just me taking a guess don't quote me on it and it looks good so fingers crossed now on to the biggest source of news for today was an interview with, Reggie Filzaini, uh, I uh, know who he is, like former NOA president, did an interview with Inverse and some, had some different comments to say about accessibility and like NFTs and the metaverse. And I'll be starting with the accessibility because I think that's the most relevant to what I want to talk about, but then the NFT stuff like, yeah, I'll talk about that as well, but you know. Let's start. So he revealed, basically, as he was preparing to retire in 2019, which is a long time ago now, he says Nintendo was part of an industry-wide initiative that regarded the Xbox's adaptive controller, which, if you don't know what that is, it's the peripheral Microsoft made for Xbox and PC that allows people with disabilities to play the games more, like set-setting and stuff. Like It's not perfect, there are flaws of it, but it was a very good starting point. And they said it was, he said it was to, as a jumping off point to create something that would be platform agnostic and adaptable by any consumer. Imagine an adaptive controller that you could play with your latest Xbox, PlayStation, or Nintendo platform. That's what we are working on three years ago, he explains. He says he isn't certain if it's still in development, which I hope it is. But um, I need to, I'm saving my comments for after I've read the rest of this, so I need to stop commenting. He says, my hope is that the effort has continued. I'm not sure if it has or not, but also my hope is that the controller and the ability for that controller to connect to all the various systems is launched and shared with consumers as quickly as possible. And he continues saying, I do believe the best solution is an industry solution that can work for all of the dedicated gaming platforms and PC and can truly be tailored to the player depending on what their physical capabilities and what they can do. And... I have a bunch of thoughts so um let's get started on these thoughts so the first thing is had reggie not confirmed this it's quite likely we'd never have known because that's what law is nintendo is like if it's not publicly confirmed they won't say anything but it also shows that nintendo aren't oblivious to accessibility like there was the argument before as to why nintendo games have accessibility issues was the lack of engagement or the lack of like awareness Especially like in the past, they've have refused to work with Easy Allies, for example, and like other like disability orgs. And it, and yet now it's like, there's doubt proof that they clearly are engaging and are aware of it. And it makes me wonder what the hell happened. And the bit, what I think should happen next is I'm hoping it's going on now, actually, is that another journalist is going to look into it more. And finds out what happened internally, things like what were the specs, were any disabled people involved, why didn't it release, and will it ever release, those kind of questions. Especially because a lot of people that would have worked on it would have been contractually bound by non-disclosure agreements. So if they did it, they'd they'd have to do it anonymously and like not like out any of their sources, that kind of thing, because... It's something that Nintendo would get upset at, even though the fact that this existing is this news is actually good that it existed. But it does raise a lot of questions, and I do have a theory as to what I think happened. But I'm going to put a content warning for ableism and uh, a historical massacre because I need to explain context into why I think that this might have potentially been cancelled. And my theory is that it was. ...likely blocked by Nintendo of Japan... ...due to the stigma of disabled people there... ...and that's kind of like... ...that goes into systematic ableism... ...and I mentioned the whole... ...stabbing trigger warning because... ...to help, kind of help people understand... ...because a lot of Westerners weren't really aware of it... ...like... ...a lot of... ...like the first time I really got to international stage... ...was in 2016... ...when there was the Sagamihara stabbings... ...which happened in... ...well the Sagamihara area... ...and that included... well. Basically, this guy meant basically ended up going to the facility in the night and stabbed a bunch of people dead. All of these were like disabled people with like cognitive impairments and stuff like that. And they're kind of like very grim. Like, I'm not going into it any more than that, but it was uh, uh, very bad. And the, and the lot of reason why the ableism shows is because we, to this day, as far as I know, like I did a bit of research where we still know like next nothing about the victims like we don't have any names we don't have any faces all we really know is like the genders and the age range of the victims and the reason why is that is because of the ableist stigma and where parents often like try to hide the fact they have disabled children as for the stigma of having like disability doesn't just affect the disabled person themselves it also affects the families and it's one of those many different like cultural divides where like that stigma like obviously exists elsewhere in the world to like varying extents, but it's also like as a Westerner, kind of surprising where you're in like very like disability positive circles or circles where you have like parents that make their, their child's disability, their identity, which is like autism warrior parents and other like trash, which are... yeah, that's a whole nother thing. But it's a, like a course difference where like there are people in Japan who are open about disabilities. And also disabled, like, like like parents of disabled children who are having a disabled child because in one of the articles I read when I was looking it up just to make sure the context right, this person, like there was an interview with a uh, one of the like residents of the place where it, the stuff happened, like who wasn't affected by it basically. They basically said that you know, one of the few people who are actually open about it. Especially there and like it's not surprising the victims chose anonymity. And yeah, I I can kind of see that. And I think that's like that's just the most like pronounced example of it that Westerners will probably be aware of. So I think maybe that somehow is kind of like affecting whether Nintendo's like perspective on it. Cause especially like Nintendo of Japan, like a lot of these companies are run by really old people. And in Japan, like Especially Nintendo, like a lot of the people that have the senior pad will be older people, especially older men. Like Miyamoto, like Miyamoto doesn't make games anymore, but he still has an influential position at the company. So it's quite possible that people in his position will be blocking it, and maybe we like, yeah, we'll explore it, but maybe we'll cancel it because we don't we re- we we're- because we're- we're like we don't really want to deal with that, which is a shame. Really, like I don't know for sure, but I suspect that is the reason why I only like talked about the whole stabbings thing because that's what most westerners understand as the issues relating to disability in japan i mean i said as someone who actually lived there as well like i started abroad in japan as well and one of the like issues i had there was it's very like the workplace culture is very like in many ways ableist because it's like overworking and like just trying to juggle these things and it's like I I concluded that as a disabled person I wouldn't want to work there unless it was like remote because I just wouldn't be able to cope with with it and if your work culture of like encouraging overwork and really long hours like is there it excludes disabled people so by that very nature is ableist and yeah there's a lot to talk about which honestly that deserves a whole topic of its own but that's all that basically but i hope it still releases though i reckon at this point it's either nearly done or it was cancelled long ago and i think after three years i think it was more likely to been cancelled but it's still a shame i hope it does come out in some form it not only make nintendo hardware more accessible but it would go a long way to addressing the stigma surrounding like disabilities in japan like It'd be a big deal if a big company like Nintendo were like, oh hey, we're including to sell people now, and that would go away because a big major Japanese company like Nintendo, that would be a big deal. And that's something that I'm hoping like happens eventually, but you never know really. But it's still good on Reggie to like reveal this existed because this is something that really should have been made public a long time ago. Regarding the Metaverse, Reggie says, I believe the true Metaverse will have a common currency and common development infrastructure. It will be highly social in a way that's digital, but also allows you to interact with your real-life friends and real-life experiences. That's the way I define the Metaverse, and I'm a believer in that vision. The term is being used, I would argue, excessively. Metaverse has a label that's been thrown at a variety of different initiatives. I'm old enough to remember that if you said something was tied to the internet 20 years ago, All of a sudden, valuations of companies would increase dramatically, even when they really had nothing to do with what was going on with the internet. It's incumbent on leadership within all gaming companies to be open-minded to these technologies, to experiment with these technologies, and to figure out how they can be utilized in a way that benefits the player, that can deliver unique and different experiences to your customers. So yeah, I kind of understand where he's coming from here. Like, that is nice. Like, it's very much an idealistic, like, vision of what it could be like that could definitely happen but i think that under capitalism and hence the push for games as a service and having content like incomplete or having like microtransactions and gambling mechanics and stuff stuffed into games it's that's a vision that i don't think will like be realized it's like you're asking for something where the profit motive is removed because for that to exist, there would need to be like a next to no profit motive in terms of like after a upfront cost. And that kind of like ignores the reality that companies will push that as much as possible. Like you have game companies like, oh, we're pushing our game costs to like 70, like dollars as a regular retail price all our marketing costs have ballooned and stuff like that and it's like oh my god like companies like trying to exploit the consumer as much as possible and then it means that things like the metaverse like this kind of vision it's nice it does sound something that could be quite interesting but it just won't exist in the current game industry and that's why people don't like it and that's why to an extent, people are overusing the term because it's like trying to fight off this predatory behavior of publishers. And not so much Nintendo, but other companies too, like especially like like Activision, Ubisoft, etc. and those companies. And as for NFTs, which is a bit as a short section now, but it's still relevant. I'm a believer in blockchain technology and what it can potentially unlock in terms of keeping your content attached to you versus attached to the software or platform. As a way to have content that I own and that represents some sort of badge value, I think NFTs can be very interesting. And then he says, however he maintains his experiences need to be baked into the game design, and not bolted on. It has to be a part of the experience from the very start. So yeah, um, not really the whole like very heavily for it, but also not super against it either. And um, I can also understand this, but ultimately like, reason we got the reasons are also similar to the first bit where like because of capitalism like nfts and that would be like they will not like there has been no good use for nfts because of the profit motive and capitalism but part of it is also because we have a climate crisis and having nft usage been as much as they are with all the, the with the spaces for like chips and that being used to process the nfts and install them remotely and all the electricity that it wastes that is part of the problem as well and that is one reason why the nft usage is is bad like maybe in a world where the climate crisis has been mitigated there might be some use for something like that but that would be really unlikely in itself and I just it's just one reason why yeah there is there could be potential but it's just not something that will happen and plus, like, gamers in that large, like both the toxic kind and a non-toxic kind, hate it, so um you're gonna have a lot of problems getting that vision realised. That's kind of fatigue on that really. Anyway, as for the what I've been playing, the last section of today's episode, then I've got two games to talk about, one of which is Xenoblade Chronicles 3. Um I'm going to make a full video on this. I haven't decided if it will be spoiler-free yet, because there's a lot I want to talk about, especially regarding late-game stuff. But this bit here is going to be, like, spoiler-free. And for some reason, it's the last time I talked about it on the previous episode. Uh, At the time recording, I've passed 90 hours. So, yeah, almost 100 hours of my life in the past month has been spent on a video game. And to be fair, this is a great game. So it's absolutely worth the time. Uh, I've cleared the main story literally, like, Last night uh, it was amazing. Like loved it all, especially like the the end bit, final dungeon boss, climax, etc., and that kind of thing. The stuff that's before that. This game has gotten even better. Like especially once, like things escalate and it gets more and more epic, and stuff happens. Especially when there's a certain plot twist, like earlier in the game, not near the end, but like closer to the end, but not like. end which I'm not spoiling because that's great other things a lot of my playtime was like uh, doing lots of side quests unlocking classes exploring the map there's a lot to explore the map's like five times the size of Xenoblade Chronicles 2 it's like it's so much bigger and it's great there's just so much to do and it's like easily got the most like diverse like map in Xenoblade yet and the side quests is well really fantastic. I don't normally do side quests in RPGs, aside from a select number, especially if it relates to like hidden dungeon and stuff. But this game is so good that I can just do more and still have a great time. And especially in all the unique settings, like I just love the like settings and variety. And during the main game, it was over leveled. So I ended up like playing these quests later and getting them done easily. Although, when I did do, like, the final dungeon, I did, like, turn up the level a bit. So, like, up the difficulty, so it'd be a bit more difficult. And that was, like, good as well. And um, there is a post-game feature where when you've beat the game, you can level down at rest spots. So, I will probably end up doing that to some extent to for post-game content. So, I'm still planning to do a lot more of it, like, exploring option areas because there's a couple of, like, Cave areas where the enemies are, like, over level 90, so they're quite a lot. Like, I can't enter them yet because I go in and out of my level, which is, like, early level 80. Like, I used up all my experience to level up at these zones. It's like, I would die, basically, so I can't enter them yet. And then things like a couple of quests that you unlock once you beat the game. Like, what you can do is you can load up your profile and you can restart on... Basically, you you respawn just outside the doors of the final, like, boss area, and you can go back and then you can go trigger these events, so, like, a couple of classes uh, can be, like, unlocked that way, the final two classes, and some extra side quests, I've not looked into the content yet, and I'm not going to spoil it here, but that's about something else, I'm going to play more of it, and then get a bit more of that, and then hopefully, most likely, pass the 100 hour mark, and then be able to go, yeah, this game's great, and, uh, yeah, um yeah there's a lot to talk about I love it so much and like especially like when you like the soundtrack as well it's great get to the later stages it's great vocal songs great because there are a few vocal songs and then the whole like exploring like I've got so much to talk about but it's like I don't want to talk about it all at length here because I want to make a full video and then kind of think about it then and then just see what happens there which um yeah, probably, this is probably most likely would be my game of the year. I can't see anything like topping it. The only one that comes close is Whitehaven 2, but that's technically not an official release. And it also came out in the last like couple of weeks of December last year, but I'm counting it as 2022 because there is no way you'll be able to read like all of that game in like nine days. Like It's just too big, basically. It's just too big. Unless you did literally nothing but play it for like... Week straight. There's nothing you can do when you come close to finishing it. So, yeah, that's 2022. And that's how good it is. And it kind of, like, getting those feels of such a great game. And, like, that game, like, Centipede 2. Or Centipede 3, actually. Well, I Zen think 2, but that game's old. But Centipede 3 is, like, game. It its feels and an epic feel ride. And it's just so nice to, like, have that ride and just be kind of, like, yeah, this was fun and I loved it. And it's, it's nice to also like, have that and then have this, like, memory and masterpiece in your mind. Because, yeah, I think it probably is a masterpiece, like, easy like, S-rank RPG for me. But, you know, I want to, like, think about it more. And as time goes on, let it go. But I think, to be honest, especially given the consensus people are, like, like seeing of the game, it will probably end up being, like, ranked as, like, the, the like, best like RPG in the Xenoblade arc. And probably what monolith is produced overall which um yeah i just wanted to talk about it another time but you know that game is fab and especially because i'm going to do a full video i'm going to want to sit a bit and like process a bit because especially because like the last part of the game especially with like the ending and trying to think back over the game not just the ending but everything before to process the themes and that kind of thing like I know a lot of people, like, rush it out for, like, launch. And I don't include journalists in that because when you're a games journalist, you have to generally, like, rush through RPGs review you anyway. But, like, YouTubers and other players that managed to get the game early, like, especially because the game leaked out, like, piracy sites. So you could play it a week before release unofficially or via, like, a leaked physical copy from a retailer. But that's a whole other thing. So I'm going to sit back and process it a bit and hopefully I can come up with a uh, solid thoughts on it soon that aren't more coherent and reflective everything which is cool. As for the last other game I've been playing, uh, this is uh, just a game I had on that uh, by Peter and this is one that I've been playing a bit on out, out partly because it's shorter and also because it's not like turn-based and heavy and complex. And that's East Fionn Felghana, um, this is the third game in the E series, remade in a definitive form, older style of gameplay that other entries has, so this is different to like, *Salsetta*, Origin, um, not Origin actually, Origin had the older style as well I believe. Yeah, Origin had the older style, the same style as Felghana, but the different style that a lot of people be familiar with, like Memory of he say nine, this is not that, it's the previous style, Adol's on his own. You can't control the camera, gameplay is simpler, which is fine, it's a different style. It's interesting to see East's style evolution and uh so far I'm quite liking it. The story is shorter and much less text because it was like an older East game, so Falcon were like, Yeah, we don't care as much about the story and having all these text and character interactions, let's just have the game be shorter. And yeah, it's all it's quite fun. Uh it's quite hard even on the easiest setting. And that's fine because this game is known for being brutally hard. If you're not into changing games, play on easy. But it will still be like closer to normal difficulty if that makes sense. But I haven't done it. I'm probably just going to like have it sit around when I'm out and need a bit of time to kill. Because it's that kind of game. And I'm hoping when I'm done then I can consider finally getting knocks and dig into that. And I don't know when I'll finish it. But it's nice to have that as a distraction when I'm going out and stuff. So, you know, you never know really. It's going to be cool. But just a short thing, because, you know, it's obviously a PSP game, definitive remake, quite old, especially compared to newer stuff. It's quite cheap on Steam as well. You can get it on Steam for like a few pounds, especially when it's on sale. But anyway, and that's going to be it for today's episode of the Miller's Gaming Podcast. Please like, comment, subscribe, etc. Leave five star reviews on your platform of choice. Uh, hopefully we will be more to discuss next time. Maybe I'll play played more games. Hopefully by next time I'll have the Xenobay 3 video out. But don't promise me on it. Um, but I'll have other things out in the meantime. And I'd Please like, show support. And I really appreciate you listening to me today. Thank you very much. And uh, bye bye.